The themes of voice, treaty and truth are the centrepieces of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which marked its fourth anniversary last month. While the proposed voice to Parliament remains a hotly and noisily contested issue at the national level, the other themes of treaty and truth are being progressed more quietly at the state level. Victoria has recently announced a First Nations-led commission of inquiry into the history of that state. And in Queensland, a treaty advancement committee has been charged to provide momentum for the push for First Nations treaties. Jackie Huggins is co-chair of the Queensland Treaty Advancement Committee and she joins me now. Arnie Jackie, welcome back to Speaking Out. Uh, Thanks very much, Larissa. It's been a while and uh, nice to be here. I was going to say it's been a while since we've had you on the show. How have you been since we last had a chat? Oh, look, really well. Uh, The COVID year has been good for me. Like, Like you, I've managed to write another book, so... That's fantastic. And, you know, um, taking care of my health, which is really a big thing. And uh, I think that's been helped by staying off planes and so forth and not getting, you know, too involved in headaches from uh, the national scene. So I'm home here now doing a very important work now, and that is the Treaty Advancement Committee, of which I co-chair. Yes, well, that's what we wanted to talk to you about today. Very important work. In August 2020, the Queensland government committed itself to continuing down a path to treaty and the committee you're chairing with Mick Gooder was formed to progress the process. What exactly have you been asked to do? Okay, well, we've been asked to look at uh, those recommendations. And by the way, all of our recommendations were approved or approved in principle The ones that were approved in principle are the ones that require some funding and resource implications, which is fair enough. But uh, we were delighted that we're able to, I guess, you know, to do two very important things. And that is we've been uh, committed in principle to the establishment of a First Nations Treaty Institute and a truth and healing process. So for us, that was very encouraging. And there is a lot of goodwill from the state government at the moment to proceed with that. So we're implementing the uh, recommendations really of the report that we gave to Parliament in August last year. The Queensland Treaty process has followed a different approach to those in Victoria and the Northern Territory, with the government advisory bodies involving both First Nations and non-Indigenous leaders. Why was this approach chosen? Yes, well, uh, I I guess it goes to the point that we always do things very differently here in Queensland. So, uh, and not not that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, (laughs) and and I guess Larissa, for us, in hindsight, it was good to see um, the work of particularly uh, Victoria, and we didn't go down the path of setting up a assembly first. We thought we would, in fact, get the structure, the foundation as best as we could, and then they would be able to look at issues of capacity building, of uh, treaty readiness, of also an elected body for treaty, for them to work through those things, you know, and more particularly to look at a truth-telling mechanism by which uh, we've seen in Victoria. It's been fabulous and we'd love to follow through with something like that. Because at the core of all our consultations, not only here in Queensland, but um, I believe in Victoria and Northern Territory, 
the core foundation was to have a process of truth-telling before we move forward with treaty. I want to come back to the notion of truth-telling and unpack that a little bit more from your perspective. But Mm. just before then, your committee, as you said, follows on work that you've done in 2019 and 2020, recommending the creation of that First Nations Treaty Institute to help First Nations and the wider Queensland community become, I guess, treaty-ready from what you're hearing and what you're thinking about, what would this institute do and how long might it be before actual negotiations for a treaty or treaties might commence? Sure. Well, the institute would have a number of functions in terms of advising and facilitating a treaty-making framework. It would advise on the representative mechanisms and structures it would certainly lead in the truth and healing process. And this capacity building, which is very important, would also be engaged in a process of uh, investigating what that looks like. And, of course, in so doing, you're supporting the development of governance models that would be suitable for First Nations. And that uh, engagement, as you've said, is it's for all Queenslanders, so... We took this on board that we would talk to not only First Nations peoples but the whole of Queensland, which is very different to Victoria and the Northern Territory where they just spoke to First Nations peoples first. And I think there's a bit of an add-on with that because at the end of the day here in Queensland, I think we're about 7% of the population, which, which is quite high. But So therefore, you know, we've got to bring across that other 93% to get a treaty going in our country. Not only in our country, sorry, but in in our state. Once we set up the Treaty Institute, they probably need about six months to set themselves up and then the negotiations then, I think, can start in earnest. So perhaps, you know, realistically and quickly, I would love to see it by the end of next year. Listening to you speak about the very thoughtful process you've gone through to see what's best for Queensland, it's a great reminder that there's no one size fits all. But you just want to go back to this notion of truth-telling that you've mentioned as central to the work being done in Queensland on treaty and Australia nationally and across the country at the state level. From your perspective, and you've been involved in the processes of reconciliation, you played a really big role through that reconciliation era, and now you're moving into this era and leading this treaty process. From your perspective, what is meant by truth-telling and why is it so important? It's um, really important to uh, have a mechanism by which, you know, people can, in fact, tell the truth, explain the truth and... I remember a dear, well, she was, uh, I think, the Jessie Street of Queensland. Her name was Mrs Muriel Langford. And she would always say to me, you know, Jackie, there can't be a reconciliation process without telling the truth. And way back then, I kind of understood it, but I, I didn't understand it, if you will. But it's so true. You know, we've got to have a process by which we can explore, you know, our history and the impact of colonisation on First Nations peoples and, of course, you know, how it still continues today. And that can only be done by expert witnesses and those expert witnesses are our own people. And it really has been our first priority to look at some kind of 
truth-telling by which, you know, we weren't able to do this way back 30 years ago with the Council for Aboriginal Reconciliation. But I really do think that the work that was done, and I do agree with some people, particularly Jill Gallagher, who said the reconciliation process has really warmed up the treaty issues, you know, and I'm seeing it here in my state. I feel very excited, Larissa, but still, you know, sometimes you're very reticent to, you know, go with your full feelings. But it's kind of a feeling that I had when we walked over that bridge with such hope and inspiration that I hope that people may be now ready to tell the truth and to talk about it. I just want to tell you a little story. I don't know if you saw Ellen Fanning on the drum a couple of months ago. She did a story on an Aboriginal woman domestic servant who was actually on her grandfather or great-grandfather's property in Longreach. The challenge to her was to track down the woman and find her family. Well, she did that. And uh, this woman was the daughter of the lady, the very young girl that was in the photo as a domestic servant. Now, Ellen contacted me the next day. She did a story on ABC News and there were 800,000 hits. That's amazing. And people had read it from go to woe around this story. So that gives me hope and that gives me something that I think we can, you know, really progress. And it's amazing. I think there's a bit of a readiness to have a conversation now. I'm feeling very positive about it. Well, you've had your finger on the pulse for a long time, so I guess you are well-placed to see if there's been a shift in public opinion. The piece you refer to by Ellen Fanning was incredibly powerful and a really great example of how First Nations history, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander history, weaves in with the history of every other Australian. Just going back to this complicated process of truth-telling, the Victorian approach is, in effect, the establishment of a Royal Commission, And this hasn't been recommended in your model. Will your committee be looking again on what that body will have in your state and what powers are needed for this really demanding and quite confronting process of examining Queensland's history of colonisation? Yes, certainly. And in fact, that is our next meeting. We'll be having a meeting and then followed by a workshop after that to look at that very thing around how this all can be uh, progressed But there are a number of options, I guess, whether, you know, a commission of inquiry can be formed, a royal inquiry. Uh, Well, we've seen what happened to the NT Juvenile Justice Inquiry of Mick Gooder and Margaret White, and really none of those recommendations have ever seen the daylight really on that. So, you know, there's a number of things that we just need to weigh up and think what would be the best and the most effective mechanism by which we can bring to bear for the work that we have to do here in Queensland. So uh, that'll be interesting discussion, but we'll just see what the best effective measures we can get out of it. Yeah, I guess, again, there's no one size fits all, but it's always good to see what other people are doing and seeing what's best for the unique circumstances in Queensland. Should we be optimistic that the various treaty processes in the states and territories and the Voice campaign nationally will prove enduring? Yes, and I think it's uh, the way that these issues present themselves at the time. There is a huge opportunity to forward and progress those works. And I think certainly the voice, the Uluru Statement from the Heart and Treaty are uh, three of the 
you know, big ticket items, I guess, for our people and for all Australians, really, in terms of that nation building that we have to do. So I tend to feel like sometimes I'm on that, you know, the wave of being on a surfboard and you come into shore and the wave finishes, but you've got to paddle back out then to get back onto the other wave. <laughs> and it seems to be like that a lot of the time and, you know, uh, Certainly don't surf or anything, nor that I want to. I have just uh, got an image of you surfing those waves, though, <laughs> honey, Jackie. Really yes, it's rather scary, isn't it? <laughs> I think you're very graceful in my head. You're doing a great job. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show this evening and sharing with us the insights into the really important work you're doing in Queensland. Thanks very much, Larissa. Always wonderful to talk to you. Jackie Huggins is the co-chair of the Queensland Treaty Advancement Committee.